people have really attributed dating and how how we get to marriage has really been a cultural component but we've we've taken that cultural component and we have made it biblical even when it's not welcome to another episode of sex plus christian parents podcast i'm thomas and i'm jason and in today's episode we're going to be talking about dating singleness and how we parent kids towards relational health This is going to be a fun episode because we've got a special guest. Uh, She's a regular blog contributor. She's someone that has partnered with Project 619 in the past. And so I'm just grateful for the opportunity to uh, invite you to listen to her and and the wealth of knowledge that she brings. So here's Deborah Faleda. I am a licensed professional counselor, and my specialty area is relationship issues, which God kind of uh, moved me in that direction. And uh, I've written three books. The first book was called True Love Dates. And the interesting thing about that is I started the blog to market that first book. And then the blog kind of took off and exploded and kind of showed me that there was really a a, a great need to talk about relationships uh, in a clinical way, not just in a theological way. And, And that the two of those things could really go together. And I come from the generation where people were really afraid of dating. They wanted to kiss it goodbye and have nothing to do with it. They thought dating was the enemy. And so here I am, you know, trying to navigate love and relationships. And I don't fit into either side. I don't fit into the side that tells you that dating is the enemy. Avoid dating altogether. And I don't fit into the other side of culture that's telling you just to hook up and and relationships are casual and, and not to think twice about it. So when you're a believer and you don't fall into either side of the camp, you just, it's really hard to navigate dating. And so True Love Dates was really birthed out of a need to kind of fill in the gap and give Christians an alternate approach that shows them that they can do dating in a healthy way and they can also honor God through the process. As you'll see in this episode, Deborah just does a great job of sitting in the middle of really wrestling through how to engage dating and singleness and relationships. And and she advocates a position that's very similar to the ministry of Project 619. And you'll see this as she weaves through this conversation with both wisdom and with grace. You know, I, I always start with uh, the verse from 1 Thessalonians 5.11 that says, encourage and edify one another. Like, To me, that's a biblical mandate of how we're supposed to do relationships. And not only that, how we're supposed to do dating relationships. And when it comes to parents, I mean, I do think we have a tendency to really avoid the conversations about dating until we think our kids are dating age, whatever that age might be in our comfort zone. You know, maybe for some families it's 16. For other families, like my husband and I, it's 33, <laughs> right? We always joke, like our kids can date when they're 33. But but honestly, like it doesn't matter what the age is. I think we need to start integrating these conversations early on. What do healthy relationships in general look like? What does healthy communication in general look like? What does it mean to to really take inventory of how we're interacting with the people around us in our family because our personal health is eventually going to impact the health of our relationships. So instead of getting so caught up with teaching our kids about dating, 
I think we need to back up and just make sure that we're teaching them how to be healthy individuals. You know, that conversation has to happen first and foremost. And I think it's really sorely missing um, in how we how we even approach the topic of dating. We kind of start them at age 16 or 18 and say, okay, now you're ready to date. But we haven't actually taught them what it looks like to be a healthy person before that. So, so these conversations can happen early on in, in, in childhood. I love that line where she says, take inventory. I, I, I start thinking really of how we treat others and what are we modeling? And I think that's exactly what she's hitting on around the, the topic of importance with healthy boundaries and how we treat individuals. If we aren't modeling this as parents, our kids won't learn it. Yeah, I, I, it's something that uh, we are always trying to advocate in our own home is not only how do we engage in the broader conversations around the world uh, that we see in the world around us, but how do we engage simply in the relationships that are before us? And, you know, we talk about this in other episodes around sex and, and how it starts with small conversations. It doesn't start with the conversation around sex. It starts with these other conversations. And the same is true about understanding what it means to be a healthy person first. It, that starts long before the dating conversations ever do. Yeah, in organizations, we say something like, let's create a culture where we can talk about these things. I think it's true in homes. Do we Are we creating a culture in our home where we can have these conversations from very early on to help build the framework so our kids can be healthy individuals? I think we have to be educated as parents. And if we're not, that's the first step. You, you don't even think about starting with your children until you started with yourself you know, taking inventory of what I know about relationships and what I'm modeling because children research shows us that children actually learn the most about relationships based on what's modeled to them. Number one, how their parents handle conflict. Number two, how their parents uh, take responsibility in an argument and how they interact and model forgiveness all of those things, how your parents communicate and engage in relationships is the first and foremost thing that teaches you how to do relationships well. So if you're a parent, I think the key is to really learn to walk the talk before you talk the talk. Um, so, so for us in our relationship, that means that we're being deliberate about what we're modeling to our kids and realizing that that's going to speak more to them than any book we can give them or any conversation we can sit down and have. Um, we're not we're not that family that avoids arguing in front of our kids because we think it's it can be a productive lesson for them to realize that real relationships do have conflict and here's how you handle conflict. It's important for them to see John apologizing to me and me apologizing to John and us working through things in front of them. You know, I, it actually bothers me when I meet with adult children are in relationships and they say, well, my parents never argued growing up. I'm like, really? I mean, the, the, they did argue. Maybe you just weren't aware of it. And, and now you don't know how to handle conflict because of that. I can't tell you how many times when I was dating, I felt like I was talking to someone that had never experienced a disagreement in their home. There were so many Christian women that I dated that had never seen arguments take place and they're home. And I, I always would ask, is this a good thing? What kind of reality is this setting for marriage in the future? 
I agree. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor, I get adults who sit in my office and say they never saw their parents argue or disagree. And I have said the same thing. Whoa, whoa. what do you mean? Never. And and the reality is, and, and Deborah is so right. The reality is now they don't know how to navigate, handle and resolve conflict. Oh my gosh. And it happens so often, even now with youth, as I'm talking to them and you know, I can't help but think that that's the purity culture in many ways helped us create great mass, that that it, it taught us how to not really be genuine, how to engage in conflict, how to engage in a reality that exists, not a reality that does not exist. And I've just learned that conflict, when it's done well, when it's healthy, actually can bring about great change and and. I've seen this in our kids when my wife and I have a disagreement and then we work towards apology, much like Deborah is talking about, it's changed the way that they enter and then end conflict among one another, among their siblings. You know, I think that the fear that Deborah mentions can actually be something that is removed by simply finding ways to both model how conflict takes place to our kids, then modeling what has been seen. Because I think then it allows for us to, as parents, as our kids are preparing to step out and to do, I, I think it's quite an adult thing to date. Uh, when it's been modeled, that they can engage and, and, and both share what is important while also entering into disagreement and then also find resolution. I mean, I think we're setting our kids up for success. You know, each of us have different experiences and how relationships were modeled to us. And, and, and so you pair that with the purity culture and it's going to look different for each individual. For those parents who are really struggling with fear or, or apprehension, I am a huge advocate of counseling. Like, I think that there's so many roots to the reasons why we do things or the reasons why we avoid things uh, that, you know, you can wish yourself to a better place, but you've got to work to get to a better place. And if you're feeling that much apprehension, there's a good chance you're going to pass down that apprehension to your kids unintentionally, you know? So, so really, I think what it comes down to is taking inventory of your personal health in the area of relationships and seeing how the purity culture, how your own family of origin has affected you. What are the roots to those fears and apprehensions? How healthy is your current marriage? And, and maybe taking some steps to get yourself healthy by engaging in counseling, reading good books, um, and really downloading new information into your life, seeing yourself as, as the fountain that's going to overflow into your kid's life. So pouring into yourself and getting yourself the, the right information, because that's what's going to seep out of your life too. So I'm a huge advocate for counseling. And I think if you're really feeling stuck, that would be my number one recommendation to you. Now, Deborah is a, is a woman after my own heart where she talks about how these things can seep out of our life. And she's a big advocate for counseling. I was thrilled to hear that because one, I think this is our first time having a therapist on the podcast. We get a bunch of voices. And how amazing is it that we actually have a licensed therapist who can come and bring some solid truth Two, 
this this excited me because this is something over the last several years I've tried to practice. I'm not perfect, but I've tried to go first in getting therapy, getting counseling, and always understanding that I, I'm always growing and learning and there's always work to be done. And so that brings a lot of humility into my marriage. That brings a lot of uh, transitions as we grow, but in a healthy manner. And so it is a joy to be able to hear from her uh, in, in such a fashion as this. She does just bring a lot of what her uh, practice is into the conversation. And in fact, she even um, here in this next little bit talks a little bit about the puzzles. The she, she uses the analogy of puzzles. Puzzles have been something that her family has been doing, but how there is this piecing together that happens in relationships. And, and as we all know, they aren't always going to come together and sometimes they will and how that all looks. And so, yeah, listen to a little bit of what she says about that. We've been doing a lot of puzzles lately and the world looks different and people are doing more puzzles than ever before. But a lot of times we'll take the average day-to-day -day activities and, and try to turn them into teaching moments. So when we're doing puzzles, um, I always talk to my kids about finding a good match for your life. It's kind of like doing a puzzle, you know? You have to know what your shape is and what your colors are so that you understand when somebody fits your life from somebody who doesn't fit your life, you know? And it, you can take two puzzle pieces that don't really work together and you could try to jam them in and cram them together, but one of them will probably end up breaking. And so part of being a healthy person and having healthy relationships, kids, is understanding what you're like, what, what your personality is like, your relationship with Jesus, um, all the things that are valuable and important to you, and then finding somebody who fits into that, finding somebody who understands that, finding somebody who connects with you, just like a two puzzle pieces fit together. And, and I kind of put the responsibility on them versus the conversations that will say, well, God just has somebody out there for you and you just have to wait. I, I like my kids to have a little bit more responsibility in the search and realizing that they can make a good marriage choice and they can also make a bad marriage choice. They see divorce all around us and they see it in Christians. So it's like, well, if God has one person out there for me, then why are people getting divorced left and right? And the answer is there's a personal responsibility there. And I want them to even see it in how they treat their siblings. They've got a personal responsibility in, 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 and then moving forward into the type of person they're going to choose to match their life. So as you can tell, this conversation is about so much more than just dating. They're about teaching boundaries. They're about how to be personally responsible, about safety. It's about being able to stand up for themselves. And I just absolutely appreciate this approach. So often in the conversations in the church for dating have always been about finding the one. And I just have always felt this is so destructive. I think as parents, we need to dismantle this myth that there's one person because marriage is a possibility. It's not a promise. And we see that in scripture. You know, I think a lot of that developed from trying to handle rejection, right? Like, like if I just know there's the one, then when oh, things yeah. don't work out, I can always have something to fall back on rather than, and I love that Deborah's talking about these healthy boundaries and personal responsibilities, rather than realizing uh, God is at work. And we also have some responsibility here. But Jason, I love what you said. It, it, it's it's not a promise, marriage that is. And so we can we can have a conversation and reframe it than what we've often been told. And I want parents to not let what you said pass. The idea of rejection 
It's a tough one to teach, but our kids need to learn rejection because perseverance comes from understanding, experiencing, and having had rejection occur in our lives. And we have a generation of youth that that don't always get the chance to experience that. And I think that what she is talking about when it comes to personal responsibility, well, that's a part of it. So I think that's a very important point that you bring up. So when I think of boundaries, the first thing that comes to mind is the verse that tells us to guard your heart. And one thing I love about that verse is it's very personal. It doesn't tell everybody else to guard your heart. It tells you to guard your own heart. Like people aren't responsible for your heart. A lot of times we put the responsibility in somebody else's camp. He broke my heart, you know, but really you're responsible for guarding your own heart. So the conversation has to start there. What does it look like to guard your heart? Guarding something means protecting it because it's valuable. So so we've got to see boundaries as this fence of protection that we're putting around our heart to keep the good things in and the bad things out. And that's kind of the conversation is, what does it look like to protect your heart as you're going through the world of relationships? So, So there's three components to this. I always say boundaries need to focus on physical boundaries, emotional boundaries, and spiritual boundaries. And I think sometimes as parents, we can get caught up on the physical because that's what we can see, you know, and it's easy to kind of tell your kids what they can and can't do physically or what you expect of them. But I also think it's just as important that we teach our children, especially when it comes to relating to the opposite sex, that spiritual boundaries and emotional boundaries are just as important too. Like these are parts of you that you've got to protect um, so that you don't get end up getting hurt along the way. Truth moment right here. When I heard Deborah talk about boundaries and not just physical, but emotional and spiritual, literally drastically changed the way I now pastor and counsel and even live with my own life. This is such an important truth. I can't tell you how many times only all the parents or people in our church are concerned about was, well, did they have sex? What's the physical boundaries? And yet they start getting so entangled emotionally to people who they have not committed to, and you see the destruction when it's not guarded well. You know, I think sometimes Christians, we tend to to present this stuff in like a taboo way, like don't, don't do this and don't do that. Instead of in saying like, when you protect this area, you win in the end. And here's why, like you win when you allow yourself to do relationships the way that God wants you to do relationships. So, so we have to also be careful how we frame the conversation of boundaries instead of it just being don't, 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 don't. It's, there's a reason for this, you know, God knows what's best for us and it's good. He knows what's best for your relationships and it's so much better when you do it his way. So I just always want to tell parents just the reminder before they have these conversations to make sure they're framing them in a really positive way. Physical boundaries. I mean, I I think it's really important for parents to talk to their kids about red, yellow, and green zones when it comes to physical interactions with the opposite sex. And I could go, I could pull up one of my podcast episodes that gives you like the the eight different zones and, and we could talk into detail about about all those things. But I really think it's important for each family 
to kind of sit down and think through what are those zones like a green zone is is a is a the type of touch that you could have with somebody who's a stranger like you could put your arm around somebody put you know touch somebody's shoulder give them a high five like a hug there's there's certain touch that is in the green zone it is not just romantic touch and then there's touch that's in the yellow zone that you would only reserve for somebody that's really close to you or somebody you're dating right and then there's touch that's in the red zone that's always a prelude to a relationship that's leading to sexual intimacy there's red zone touch that you need to avoid in your life and so it's important for each parent to be able to to kind of have these conversations with their kids and figure out what that looks like i have to admit i i went a little bit back and forth on whether or not i liked the zone that she laid out one one of the, the the things though that we've worked really hard to do is not to have a good touch bad touch but rather you know wh- what what kind of touches uh do we allow on our body and and giving explanation to it oh yeah that could actually be quite exciting or that could actually feel hurtful right and as i've thought about the green yellow red zones i i I think it can work. I, I, I think it's going to depend on the age of our kids, but I do think that the green, yellow, red can actually be a really good way of of engaging in conversation about what feels good and why it might feel good, but how and when those zones should be engaged. Uh, Thomas, I mean, what do you think about this? Yeah, that's the that's the challenge. Uh, initially, I liked it. You know, I've got a five year old, and he'll run around and want to you know punch me in the butt, right? And so, I'm thinking, all right, do I teach him that's red zone? So I initially I like it, but then I realize there's some things that him and I will do when we wrestle that if someone else did it, it might be that red zone. So what I'm really trying to work on my kids with, and this is personal, obviously is being able to say what's appropriate for the person and giving permission. So even hugs, just to be able to say, hey, is it okay that I hug you? Because someone may want to hug you and you can say no and have that boundary there. And and that may be a quote unquote green zone touch in terms of hugs, especially in our church culture um, or like for me in African-American culture, we hug all the time. But I'm trying to teach my kids, yeah, but you get to grant somebody that permission regardless of if you do it with mom or dad or not or whatever. Um, yeah, so you're you're talking about consent is what you're you're trying to teach your kid. Absolutely, consent. yeah, yeah, and, and instead yeah, of I, I, own language, just going that way. Yeah, I appreciate that. No, that I think that that's that's probably why you know as I started this out, I'm trying to figure out like I you know, and I think consent is a great part of this. I think it's really important, and and so I think that yeah, if if you were to use these zones, how are you going to teach consent and appropriateness to some of the the ways that even you discussed it. I I think that's really helpful. Let's move on to spiritual boundaries for a minute because I think that's something that often gets overlooked. But like I had a a young couple come up to me after a a talk and they're like, you know, we're keeping Jesus at the center. We've been dating for a few months and we do we do devotions and pray together every single day. And, and, And I'm thinking, you know what, you guys just started dating. Like you can't jump to spiritual intimacy before you even know somebody. I I knew a young woman who was dating this guy and they got so intimate spiritually. Like they combined their spiritual lives so intimately, praying together, reading God's word every day, discussing it, that they ended up 
When they ended up breaking up, she literally felt like she'd just gotten a divorce, even though they hadn't crossed physical boundaries. So all that to show you that I think sometimes we need to be cautious with spiritual boundaries too, and teach our children that there's intimacy in all of these aspects, physically, emotionally, spiritually, um, and, and, and again, modeling what that looks like. This is where I'm 100% with Deborah. I remember uh, being in college and I just transferred to Bible college thinking of dating a young lady and everyone would say like, well, make sure you guys are praying together and reading your Bible together and all these things. And at the time, I didn't know any better. Now as a pastor, and once again, hear me on this. Now as a pastor, I recognize we don't have good spiritual boundaries and we don't help people do that. We let people get so tangled. And this is what Deborah's talking about so tangled spiritually without a commitment on any other level that it really can become devastating. It brings trauma, it brings pain, and this we carry it in our whole bodies and throughout our life. This I see all the time at the church. Yeah, I, you know, I had a pastor once one time say that praying leads to kissing uh, in courtships in the church. <laughs> and and I think I think it's so true, and I think that what you're bringing up is 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 right on. I I, I appreciate what you're sharing because, yeah, I I think that sometimes we intermingle the two. We don't intend to, but that's what ends up happening. And uh, I I think the church has a huge responsibility. In fact, here in a moment, she dives into this very thing of how the church could be better partners, specifically with parents, to help prepare teens for healthy relationships? You know, believe it or not, I think the best way the church can partner is by zooming out. We get so fixated on the topic of dating, you know, we get so fixated, but, but healthy dating means we zoom out and address personal health. Like when is the last time our teenagers had a really good talk about what healthy communication looks like versus unhealthy? When is the last time our teenagers had a talk about how to express their emotions in a healthy way? When's the last time our teenagers had a talk about their self-esteem and security and who they believe they are? I'm actually teaching a, a course right now for high schoolers, and I am focusing in on emotional health because I really like I could talk to them about dating. But what does dating really matter at this age if they're not emotionally healthy, relationally healthy, you know, healthy from the inside out, if they haven't started thinking about their past, their experiences they've been through, how those things have shaped them. So instead of us, you know, being so fixated on the topic of dating, I think we need to zoom out a little and teach our teens what healthy relationships in general look like, healthy relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ healthy relationships with your family, healthy relationships with your friends. Those are the conversations that really inform our future relationships more than just sitting down and having specific conversations about what dating should and shouldn't look like. If you've listened to any of our other episodes, you're going to know that one of the biggest hurdles we tackle is how we define and engage the conversations surrounding marriage. And uh, you're seeing that brought up here. You'll hear it in future episodes, especially as we tackle other subjects. But um, episode 10 specifically dived into this. I think in the mix of all of this, we've also just got to pay close attention to the conversations we have with our children around singleness. Because we can 
easily propagate the idea that you should be dating so that you can move towards marriage. But the truth is, is the place where I've seen some of my friends and some of the people I know have the most impact was when they were single. And that should not be lost. That is something that we have to be able to share. And I think even promote at times because unfortunately we have an idolatrous view of marriage. Oh, Jason, you are spot on, brother. Paul actually is going to say in 1 Corinthians that he he desires, he wishes that they would remain as him. And he's talking about singleness because he talks about the level of commitment that can happen for the kingdom, for God, when you're single. And, and he does that because I think you had the same issue there. You had problems with lust, problems with boundaries, problems with making marriage the idol. And Paul's going, no, 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 no. Singleness is great. I, I'm doing a lot for the kingdom and honoring God. You could do the same. And so you're right on with what you said. Um, I think it's important to take inventory of the things that you're allowing your kids to download that are in, into their minds that are informing their view of singleness and marriage. Um, so so just a just a small example of that. And I don't mean to be a Disney basher, but I have young children at home and I we avoid Disney movies because they're so romanticized. And I know that those are the type of things that are going to get in their brain and make them believe that the ultimate goal of life is to find true love. Like like it seems so benign, but all of these things that we're allowing our kids to 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 see and to hear and to watch are informing their view. Those are the voices that we're allowing to speak into their life. And so I want my voice and God's voice and my husband's voice to be the loudest in their life, not Disney and not all these other, you know, romanticized things out there, even for even at start at age seven and eight and nine and 10. My, my daughter is turning 10 soon. And I, I, and I, and I believe that helping her to see that marriage is just a fraction of the potential future, but it's not the it's not the finish line. It's not the end result. It's not the thing that we are moving towards. We're moving towards the kingdom. We're moving towards Jesus. We're moving towards seeing the purposes and plans that God has for our life. And if you meet somebody who's on that same journey, great, fantastic. But if you don't, you're still moving towards that final destination. So, so practically speaking, what are you allowing your kids to listen to, watch and hear, and how is that informing their beliefs about life and relationships and God and singleness? Um, there's a lot of little tweaks that we can make that make a big difference. It's really hard to condense this stuff into bite-sized answers because there's not a one-size-fits-all approach, but I feel like we have been successful if at the end of this podcast, people are like, you know what? We've got some work to do. We got to research. We got to read up. We got to start really taking inventory of what we even believe and what we're communicating to our kids. So I'm hoping that if nothing else, this sparks that next step for people. And it's always that next step that we're trying to be able to provide here on Sex Plus Christian Parents podcast. I really hope that the conversation that you heard on this episode sparks some sort of interest between you and your spouse or you and your children to talk about relationships, to talk about the personal responsibility we have for ourselves, and to then also model it in the way we engage in the world around us. And that's exactly right. I think when spouses can become aligned on the direction that they want to model first for their children 
um, to have a biblical and godly framework of boundaries. I think it just makes the entire family that much more dynamically focused on how Jesus would want to transform them. So I, I enjoyed this episode. I love hearing from Deborah. I love when we get our therapist on and they can just give us insight from a different perspective that doesn't hinder our spirituality, but actually helps it and increases what God is doing in our, in our lives. We do love our therapist. And and I, I just also want to say this, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about spouses aligning. You might be listening to this and be a single parent. Well, that doesn't mean you can't align with your circle of friends, with the individuals that you are placing in your child's life to be able to share truth. So do not forget that because that is something that that we both want to discuss and engage and, and move away from some of the conversations that we even uh, can have around marriage. And we recognize that some that are listening to this are just wanting to find ways to engage their children. So you may not be married. You may be doing this uh, as a single parent. And if so, please, please, please look to the community that you are surrounding yourselves to align with be able to share some of the same values that you hold. That's really, really important. One of the things that we're really excited to announce is that we're going to be joining the many other podcasts that are on Patreon. It's going to be a great way for you to be able to support the work that is happening through this podcast. Uh, One of the other ways that you can be able to support us is to go and subscribe to this podcast and to also rate what we are doing to give us a rating, to give us a a little shout out on on why you enjoy listening to this podcast. It always helps us in the rankings there on iTunes and other podcast media players. It just allows for us to, to be able to get this into the hands of so many other parents that are looking for and want resources like this. We're so grateful that you have come along with us on this journey as we dive into the conversations around sex as Christian parents. Join us for the next episode, and thank you for listening to this one. I'm Jason. And I'm Thomas. We'll see you next time on our next episode. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by the wonderful people at Project 619. This episode was edited, produced, and sound designed by our very own Corey Crawford.